I'm Aria Schwartz along with Rachel Galligan and welcome to the Windsider Show where it's all about the W. We're really excited to continue to share the stories of current and past WNBA players. Today our guest, Brooke Wyckoff, former WNBA player and current Florida State University interim head coach. If you like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash Winsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. And don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content at winsider.com. While you're over there, check out our overseas tracker. It's live now, and you can see where your favorite WNBA players are playing overseas all in one place. And make sure free agency is still out and about. We have a free agency tracker. It is the top out there, and you will be able to understand where all the players and movement has been happening this season. We are so honored and excited to have you on the show, Coach. We feel strongly that it's important to share the stories of past WNBA players because you're the ones who created the foundation of the league we have today. So thank you, and how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. I am super excited. Uh, I am doing great. And like I said, excited to talk WNBA. Uh, I don't get to talk it as much as I would like to because I'm so entrenched in this college basketball world. Well, we are thrilled to have you here, Coach. And right now, I mean, you kind of have a little bit of a break uh, before Selection Monday. So we'll, we'll get into kind of everything you guys are doing as a team to kind of prepare. But first, let's talk about you. I mean, you obviously have an extensive resume uh, from playing at Florida State uh, to then going on and playing professionally in the WNBA, playing overseas, and now you're back at your alma mater, your interim head coach. It's probably been a whirlwind of a year. I want to know all the things, but let's just go ahead and start with, take me to the very beginning. When did you fall in love with this game and how did you get your start in it? Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I remember dribbling with my father when I was five years old. Uh, and I have no idea if I was, you know, taller. I don't know why that happened. My parents weren't like big basketball people necessarily. Um, but I, he put a, my dad put a ball in my hand and remember dribbling around with him and, and kind of catching the bug a little bit there. And then when I was eight, I, uh, played on my first team. And from literally from that moment on, it was just like a done deal in my brain that I'm a basketball player. This is, this is what I do. And when I got the, you know, wherewithal to understand like what going to college meant and what a scholarship was, I said, and that's how I'm going to go to go to college. And that's how I'm going to pay for college. I'm getting a full ride. That was just always in my brain. And so what lay beyond that of after college, I never really thought too much about. Um, but yeah, it's just been an amazing journey to, to think about, you know, where my mind was back then to where I've, I am today. And, and how did you end up at Florida State? I mean, and what was the recruiting process like for you? It was a hectic, crazy one. I was I, I say all the time to people, like, I would have hated recruiting myself now as a college basketball coach. It's like, uh, man, I had no idea what I wanted. Couldn't say no to anybody. Didn't have a lot of people around me that really understood the process. So that's kind of how Florida State got in the mix. It was like I was just letting anybody and everybody talk to me, you know, visit, 
all of these things. And, and <laughs> so their staff really stuck out to my parents, especially when they came in the home. And this was fall of my senior year. This is really late. Um, and I ended up taking a, a, an official visit down here. Again, it was just a really, I, I liked it, but I wasn't sure. I'm, I was thinking about maybe going some other places, but in the end, it came down to, they were building a program mm -hmm. and they told me um, that they wanted to build it around me. They appealed to my ego. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you have it. Uh, they appealed to the ego of a 17 year old uh, kid and said, we want to build this program around you. Thank God like that. I wasn't, you know, it was, it became much bigger than that for me. It really was the perfect place to come for me. Um, and it has been the springboard for everything afterwards. And I'm just, I'm so thankful. I mean, you are completely seminal through and through my goodness. I can't imagine. What about, um, influential people? I mean, I know you talked about your family, but were there any other role models or even through the recruiting process, um, coaches that you looked up to? Yeah, you know, I, I remember when I was growing up and, and watching women's college basketball, you know, University of Virginia, Don Staley and the Burgess Twins and, and um, Tammy Reese, like uh, they, they, I really looked up to them. I really liked the University of Virginia. I loved watching that team play, um, you know, they, and, and they, them in particular. So I had an idea about what the ACC was, um, you know, they really gave me the vision for what college basketball for women looked like. Um, also, you know, Ohio State women's basketball was really good at that time. Katie Smith was there um, and play as a player. And when I would visit there and, and I remember one game I went to, she broke the Big Ten scoring record for men and women that game. And and again, so just being able to to get a taste, whether on TV or in person of, of women's college basketball was huge for me and gave me that desire really to not only, you know, just want to get my college education paid for, but really be on that big stage and, and play at that level. Um, so that I, I'm so thankful for that and, and for the great players and, and teams that have come before us to, to give me that vision. During that time period, what was kind of your mindset regarding the W? Because I think, I mean, I, 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 you, you tell me, you tell me. Well, it's interesting that the WNBA started in 97, which was the summer um, that I started, like the summer before I started college. So it wasn't even on the WNBA wasn't really on my mind. I mean, they started to promote it, obviously, after the 96 Olympics, um, you know, and that dream team for women's basketball. The ABL was a thing and Columbus um, had, an, had a team, the Columbus Quest. So they had been... Um, in existence a couple years before the WNBA, at least a couple years. I'm not sure how many. Um, but really when I got into college, the WNBA was, was a big deal at that point for the first time ever. And it, it was something that I, I had no idea if I could aspire to, you know, it was, I was just starting out college and didn't know how good I would be. Um, but definitely looked up to all this, Lisa Leslie, Rebecca Lobo, Don Staley, all those those amazing players, um, and, and really was a fan. Um, and then, you know, ultimately my senior year became a, an opportunity for me to play, which was really, really cool. So take us through this because you get drafted in the second round, I believe, yeah. uh, to the Orlando miracle, a team that is now the Connecticut sun, uh, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong at any point. Right. Um, and <laughs> which, uh, for WNBA fans out there at that time, again, correct me if I'm wrong, 
D Brown, uh, at a certain point you were coached by D Brown, who's Lexi Brown's father. Um, really cool connection. I thought that was hilarious and cool, but talk to me about your draft story. I mean, like what was draft night like? What was going to your first training camp? I mean, I would be, you know, shaking in my shoes going to training camp, but that's because I don't, I can't ball like you. So how is it for you? Man. Well, the draft, the draft happened. I want to say it happened during the day. Literally, I had no idea I was going to get drafted. Um, I, it wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't watching it anywhere. I actually had class. And I remember I was going, I was driving to coach Sue's house, who was my coach at the time. She and some some other people, I, my boyfriend at the time was with her, like they were watching it. And I got a call um, on whatever kind of mobile phone I had. Something happened, like and this is so long, but you know, it was 2001. And, um, so it was, and yeah. she had a Nokia at the time, I'm sure. Something <laughs> had to have The unbreakable. Oh, and I, I had just gotten it. I didn't have a cell phone my entire college career. I didn't have my own computer. None of that. That's that's what the time period we're talking about. Um, but um, And they were like, you got drafted the Orlando Miracle. I'm like, what? Oh, my God. The best part about that whole thing was the first round pick for the Miracle was one of my best friends, Katie Douglas. Um, and she – so it was so fun that we both got drafted to the same team. We were super excited about that. But training camp. Heck yeah, I was nervous. Oh my gosh. Every year, I mean, training camp, like I, there were a couple of years that I had like a guaranteed contract, I think, but like training camp is brutal in the WNBA. I mean, it's just so few spots um, and you start out there and more people come later that are coming back from overseas. You know, I mean, it is, it is a really hard um, you know, obviously exciting, but really intense time uh, that I'm, I'm glad I was able to experience, but also I'm glad that I don't have to do it anymore as well. Well, tell us about your game. What, like, what, what was your game? I've, I've looked up some of your stats. I've watched some film, but I want to hear it from, from your mouth. What was your oh my game? God. I, I'm, I'm impressed you even found stats and or even were able to see the film, the grainy film that it is. Um, my game evolved. I mean, I, you know, I I came in as a, I, and I always was kind of one of those versatile players that could defend a bigger guard or a post player. So my role on teams changed based on need in terms of that was, I, you know, I'd be a three player or a four, you know, at the four position. Um, and I was really, I prided myself on and tried to bring value in the areas of just like doing the dirty work, playing great defense, rebounding, you know, moving the ball, getting the ball to people that needed it. Um, and, and just being one of those hustle type of players. I didn't score a lot. Um, and, but I would, there were years where I was a starter, you know, at times and, um, and I became kind of a, a three point shooter, uh, by the end of my career. I mean, three point shooter, that was because I wasn't, you know, really swift or handy with the, with the ball, like making moves and things like that. So I just like shot threes, rebounded, tried to get the ball to the, <laughs> Nikisha yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Try to get the ball to like those other people, you know, those really, those, those big names, like, you know, Candace Dupree, Nikisha Sales, Lindsay Whalen, you know, those people <laughs> that needed the ball. Um, so, 
so yeah, I mean that that was really kind of who just more of a like a utility player um, and just versatile, I would say. That's awesome. And what was the W like at that time? Because I I I mean Rachel and I have talked to so many people about this. I, the old school commercials, Diane Rossi at or uh, sorry Sue Bird at the deli, yes. the Houston Comets at the at well. It, a lot of food related at a restaurant at a restaurant yeah. yes with like yeah. the, that is that's my favorite commercial because the kids just like rip ripping them apart on their play was hilarious but i mean the w's were entering the 25th season a huge accomplishment mm -hmm. the longest standing women's professional sports league from my understanding anybody can correct me um mm -hmm. but obviously there's been growth but but kind of take us in the time machine what was it like back then yeah um, I'll be honest with you at the beginning and I, I came in, so I came in in 2001. Uh, so the fifth season of the WNBA, I believe, I mean that, I think my math's right for it. Um, it, it was tenuous in terms of like, we weren't always sure how long it was going to last. Um, and I, I don't know how that feels now for the, for the women and that, that play in the WNBA. I don't. I don't know um, if that there's still that worry. I, I think as as my career went along, that worry kind of dissipated. It felt more solid, um, but there was always you know teams were folding every year. Um, you know our team moved thankfully, but think teams would just shut down. Like at one point, you know it got down to a really low number of teams. Um, so it was a really cool feel. I mean, like a great honor to be there. It was fun. Uh, to be playing against those people and with those those amazing players in those environments, but it wasn't like oh this is a sure thing and this is all this is solid. Um, and you know the other thing that's so interesting coming into the league was you go from playing in college. I mean I I'll, I'll never forget this story. So playing at Florida State, we you know we charter everywhere just like all these top team, you know, like just most, most power five schools do. We charter to all our games. And one of the games for Florida state, we use the, the magic carpet, the Orlando magics plane team plane. Okay. So for whatever reason, I don't know why we, we flew on that plane to a game. Well, I get to the Orlando miracle and we're on obviously commercial <laughs> traveling commercial. And I'm just like, this this whole this blows my mind. Like as a college player, I was using this organization's team plane, and we can't use it yeah. as members of the organization. So the, you know you're dealing with, and they still deal with those types of things today. I know. Um, so like you're always just constantly aware of all of that stuff. Um, it's a lifestyle that was again very intense very demanding very rewarding um but never really sure and then you you were done with the season it's like okay where am i going to play overseas yeah. like that was always kind of where, where am i going to be you know and then you come back am i going to make the team the WNBA team training camp all of that it's it's a crazy lifestyle um and just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of just like you got to just keep grinding and, and really believe in what you're doing yeah it's it's fascinating to me you know that the highest levels of college basketball the resources that are there just the, yes. the travel you know the training tables the now you know the the different amount of money and, and just the gear i mean the amount of resources especially at the highest levels bcs levels of, of college yeah women's basketball is, is incredible the way they travel. I mean, and, and it's just, that's a, that's a whole other 
thing we could get on is, is the traveling. Yeah. <laughs> like, clearly, you know, we, we've made progress, but um, still very, a very long way to go. But before we kind of jump into um, your coaching career and kind of how you got into that, you you were with the Miracle for like a couple years, maybe two seasons. And I do want to know a little bit more like what that was like. Where did you play? Like, yeah. okay, but hold on to that. Where did you play? What yeah. did that look like? And then, so then it turned into the Connecticut Sun, which is... Yeah. thriving right now shout out to Kurt Miller who's doing a phenomenal job yeah. and to yes. who's done a phenomenal job or um and then you ended up in Chicago correct yes yeah? okay so yeah kind of yeah. tell me about just in particular I want to know more about the miracle because that's clearly non-existent and we just don't get to hear about it enough <laughs> it was awesome in the sense of you know, we were, we used all the same facilities that, that the Orlando Magic did. We were owned by the same um, person. So we, we practiced at the RDV, um, like practice facility, which is like this amazing, like workout place, um, you know, private club, but also practice facility. And we played at um, what was then the, the Amway Center. And I think, I don't know what it's called right now. Um, It's, I don't know if they built a new way and a new one. I I don't know, but we played at the same arena that the magic played at, you know? So, um, we, we had access to all of those resources. Uh, we stayed in, in nice apartments, you know, we were treated really, really well, um, in terms of, in that regard. Um, and, you know, unfortunately after two seasons, um, the ownership decided that, you know, they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. and, And fortunately we were able to move to Connecticut. And that was a a whole other amazing experience, but very, very different. Correct me if I'm wrong. Coach, coach Tebow was, was a coach for you in uh, Mm -hmm. Connecticut. Yes, he was, he was, oh man. And I was, I was with Connecticut for three seasons and man, what an amazing experience. I mean, just to play for someone like coach Tebow and the staff that he had there to be a part of and kind of see an organization being built. But I mean that an organization that took off quickly in terms of success, you know, in Orlando, um, we didn't make the, we didn't make the playoffs. I don't believe, I don't think we made the playoffs either season that I was there. Um, we were kind of struggling a little bit and to, to come to Connecticut, it was like from day one, from top down, you know, the ownership, the general manager who was Chris Yanko at the time, like, Coach Tebow, it was like, we're here to win, period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, we are going to give you guys every resource you need, um, but, you know, to, to be champions, but this, we're here to win. And they, and we did. I mean, we made the um, Eastern Conference Finals the first year, and then we were in the WNBA Finals the next two mm-hmm. years after that. So it's like seeing that process um, and how that all worked and, and, and the, 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 player movement that they, that they did, like the way Tebow just brought the players in that he, that he needed to get things right. And, and the way he coached, man, it was an awesome experience. And I got to embarrass you. I believe you hit a big shot in that WNBA finals <laughs> at one point. I mean, talk, talk us through that just a little bit real quick. Yeah, we were in the finals against Sacramento and, um, and we, we, I hit that. I made a three at the buzzer to put us into overtime. Okay. To put us into overtime, and we were able to pull out the win. I believe in overtime. We did not win the finals. We never, but I think we were able to win that game. Um, and I, and I hit the shot. 
uh, Kara Lawson was coming over. She was, she, there's a great picture. She, she, we laugh about it now, but she's like, man, you hit that one of on my, eye. she had the last lap cause they were champions, you know, <laughs> but she's like, man, you know, there's a great picture of her like flying through the air to contest the shot. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's like right there. And um, yeah, it was able to hit that. And the crowd was amazing. I mean, it was just such a cool experience playing in Connecticut in front of that crowd. Um, it's such a great, obviously a basketball place and uh, just some really fun memories. Yeah. Was real quick, Rachel, sorry. Was the crowd as old then as they are? Cause I could, and I don't mean that in like the negative way, but like I, I view the Connecticut sun as like one of, I don't want to say the Mecca, but like it, it, it's on my list of like three places, right? Like I was so excited when the Connecticut sun were against DC in the finals uh, two years ago. I drove up for one of their games just because I've been looking for an excuse to go to Mohegan to see a game. But was it always a older demographic at the games as it is now? Are you asking me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know who was supposed to answer that. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the, honestly, the older demographic and it's changing a little bit, but the older demographic is women's basketball fans like that. They are the tried and true, the, the most staunch report, um, you know, supporters of women's basketball. We love that crowd because they're the ones that really support it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we had great crowds, so there was definitely a mix, but um, you know, that, yeah, I, I, I'd probably say it was probably about pretty similar to what you saw a couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to try to find that, that photo. Yeah, he's, he's really good at detective work if you haven't been able to tell. So we'll have to see if we can <laughs> and put it out there in the Twitter, Twitter sphere. So, so you, you also played overseas in a place that I'm yeah. extremely familiar with. Correct me if I'm wrong. Estudiantes in Yes. Yeah, I've I've actually been there several times and usually go to Spain almost every summer. So, um, I mean, there's worse places to play professionally than in Madrid. What was that like? Yeah, so I played in Spain, like all over Spain uh, for about like, I think it was a total of like maybe eight seasons. Yeah. And Estudiantes in Madrid was my last season. Yeah. And man, what a great experience. What a way to finish up and go out like. Just, yeah, living in Madrid, living in Spain in general is amazing. I love it. I My fiance is Spanish. Like, I just, I love the I love Spanish culture and to um, have the opportunity. And that that's just, like, why I just love basketball and, and just still am in it because the opportunities it provides regular folks like, like me that would never have, I would still be, you know, somewhere in Cincinnati, Ohio, and just doing whatever, like, to see the world and to... To live in a place like Madrid um, is just amazing. I got a chance to play in um, Huelva in at Conquero, and I, that doesn't even exist anymore because they just stopped paying their players. So that's how my experience went. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you you God. you tore your ACL. You had an injury that kind of forced you to hang it up. Um, and then at this point, yes. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Um, but but you jumped into coaching and, and you kind of mentioned that's not something that was kind of at the forefront of your mind. When did you decide that this was the route you wanted to take? Yeah, it kind of, it happened very organically, um, very unexpectedly. So yeah, I had torn my ACL at the end of the 
the WNBA season, um, my last season, obviously in Chicago and just thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I thought I was really old. I was 29 and I'm like, I'm so old. Like what's next? You know, I want to go back and like slap that girl. But anyway, um, <laughs> I just thought, okay, what's next? So while I was rehabbing, um, my knee and kind of trying to figure that out, I had a sister who was playing varsity at high school in the high school back back home. And so I was able to get involved with the team just randomly. Uh, the coach asked me to come help out. And I was like, sure, you know, hang out with my sister and I'm not doing anything else. Well, that's where I caught the coaching bug. Just loved it. And I wasn't doing anything. I was like just helping out. I wasn't obviously the head coach or wasn't getting paid or any of it. And just was like, wow, I really like this. So was doing that for about two years. And then um, coach Sue, who's my, who was my coach at Florida state and who's still the coach now called me and said, um, Hey, do you want to talk about college coaching? Like, I just want to pick your brain about it. Have you ever thought about it? And and the rest is history. I hadn't thought about it, but um, it just really kind of just the opportunity presented itself. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like something I would, I, I could do. And, and duh, I mean, I've been playing basketball for 20 years, like duh. So I'm just so fortunate to be back at my alma mater. Um, again, like experiencing and, and helping facilitate the experience for, for these younger women that are coming through. Um, and, and seeing them on their journey. It's just, it's so fun. Well, and I think it's so fascinating. I mean, we talk to college coaches. Um, I, I talk to college coaches all the time, but there's just that added element of just because it's your alma mater, because you played there, because you're working alongside, I would imagine is a form of a mentor and Sue Samaro, who is just, just a phenomenal coach has been for a very long time, super respected. And so, I mean, just what has that experience been like just learning under her as a player to then learning under her as an assistant. So now you're at a point where you're leading this team. And, and I would imagine mm-hmm. that it's just a matter of time before you're leading a team forever. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> I would love to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it has been such a cool growth process. Obviously you see yourself evolve and grow as an athlete And that is like an experience, you know, that's just, it's like no other. I mean, when you're put, you have to demand of yourself physically every single day, what that does to, you know, your training mentally and the emotional side of all of it as an athlete, it's, you know, we see that, that evolution of people and and that growth and the struggle and all that you don't see that as much as a coach or you don't really visualize that when you're an athlete, like you just have no idea. But what I've loved about coaching is that it has challenged me even more and in a different way than, than being an athlete did and even a more rewarding way. And I'm still just learning so much about myself um, through the lens of like having to help others. You know, when you're an athlete, you learn about yourself, but it's all because you've got to be doing, you're all about you in a, in a good way. You know, like you have to be, you have to be so attuned to everything that's going on with you because you have to perform and you have to, you know, meet all these standards as a coach, you have to learn about yourself in terms of how, how are you helping others? Are you being effective in getting other people <laughs> to do what you need them to do? Um, and it's 18 to 22 year olds at that when you're in college. 
So learning under coach Sue, who's a master at it, having been coached by her and then watching her coach, you know, through the lens of being a coach myself and how she mentored me and went up as an assistant and now being able to do it as, as, as the head coach this year, it's been such an amazing journey of growth for me. Um, and I'm so thankful again for it because it's just made me <laughs> a way more, hopefully self-aware person, a better person and a person that's not all about me, but about others. And that's what's so fulfilling and rewarding, um, you know, in life. I just want to jump in real quick. Sorry, Rachel. I'm curious in, in this experience, have you been like, well, she's teaching you about being a coach. Have you had moments of like, hey, you did that to me and that worked? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, totally. You see everything from the other side, you yeah. know, like you see, um, gosh, you just understand so much. I, I think about all my former coaches and all the times that I like was like, why are they talking to me? Like, why do they do that that way? Why do they, you know, and you're like, yeah, now I see it, you know, like why, like, I just see all that goes into it. Why? And we just question, uh, the, you know, coaches so much, but they do, there's a meth, there should be a method to all of it and a reason behind all of it. And so what I, what I, what I saw and learned from coach Sue is she just loves her players. She puts them first. She, she truly cares about them as, as people. And that is not always a natural, easy thing to do for us. Like, like, I'm just going to love you as a person. And, but I also need you to win games, you know, and help us win. Um, but she really modeled that for me and modeled why it was important. I got to feel how important that felt to me as a player. And so now I totally understand how needed it is as a coach to really help our players understand that we care about them first and foremost as people. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine, I mean, the challenges, especially talk about being thrown into the fire right now of being at the helm of this program and everything this year has brought on. I mean, COVID-19 has affected everybody one way or another, but just from a, a scheduling standpoint, you got, you know, you guys might show up to a game and find out two hours before that it was canceled or just from a, I, I feel bad for all the Dobos in the country. Shout out to all of you <laughs> for your, your work and the, exactly. and the travel, but you know, see, so there's so many challenges, the mental health challenges of this year and the players not necessarily getting to be able to have that um, typical um, collegiate experience as a student to, to you guys. You know, you haven't been able to physically go out and recruit or have players on campus for 14 months now. So talk about a year of just kind of embracing so much adversity. How have you grown through that? Yeah, it, it, it really became clear early on, and I talk about this a lot, um, when we, when everything shut down about a year ago, um, you know, with college basketball and, or just in general, it was like, wow, will we play again? Will we have a season? Will we be able to, you know, what are we going to be able to do? So when the opportunities to gather as a team, even on Zoom initially, like, okay, we're talking on Zoom, we're here, and and there's still hope that we'll have a season. When it became clear that we could have workouts and come back to campus towards the end of the summer, have a preseason, okay, have a season, no matter what, then there was a ton of changes, like you said, Rachel, like, it was just, we're grateful for the opportunity, because we knew what it felt like to have the NCAA tournament taken away from us right before it started, you know? So it was like, man, okay, we know it can go like that. 
um, because this pandemic and this virus is crazy. We don't know anything about it. So we're going to be grateful for whatever opportunity we get. So did that, I mean, that came along with like, you know, I had to tell the girls a lot like, hey guys, our game was postponed or canceled because the other team has COVID or hey guys, um, you know, we have a COVID shutdown in our own program, you know, like we're going to, those types of things came and it was just like, okay, you know, we, we're going to just roll with it. And again, when we get the opportunity again, be grateful. So that really helped just, and, and we were, I mean, unfortunately it happened early on, but it, it really helped us to understand early on, like, that's all you can do is really like stay in the moment and be, and be grateful that, okay, we can at least gather today as a team on the court and, and play and practice. Like so many teams across the country weren't able to do that on a particular day, you know? Um, so yeah, we're just, that's what we're doing. We're staying in the moment and, and hoping for the best, whatever tomorrow brings. <laughs> well, I'm very curious about this because you've gone from high school to college to the league and then back to college. How do you think that process has kind of changed for the women's game over the years? Like in terms of like getting from one one level to the next to the next. Yeah, because I mean, like in the early days, you know, like I my my next question is kind of about how we feel that the we're preparing these women for the pros and for college yeah. because you know women's basketball. This isn't like a, a shocker to anyone has not been around as long as the men's and in terms of the whole like apparatus and whatever. Yeah. So, and, you know, often people like to hate on women's basketball. Mm -hmm. And I always say that is a flawed and you're, you're basing the question on a lie because we're so far behind just year wise, not, I'm not talking skill or anything else. Yeah. And so I'm just curious from you, someone who's seen yeah. it all, you know, talk to me about how you feel that that has, has really grown. Yeah, it, it really has grown. I mean, it's, and the unfortunate part of all of it is that, especially talking about the WNBA, with the growth of the game, I mean, there's def, there's no question that the skill level has gotten better. I mean, it, it, it's evolved just like men's basketball has. Um, you know, you're seeing players be able to do stuff so much earlier um, and athletically just, you know, the dunking and, and just things that they can do with the ball and, and, defensively all of those things like you're seeing that evolve and kids younger and younger can do it and just players are just better and better what i hate is that there is still that opportunity in the WNBA just hasn't expanded in terms of you know spots on teams right. teams and spots on teams and that's just that's just so unfortunate that um, it's just so, so difficult to make a WNBA team. And there are so many great players out there, as we all know, that could be playing in the league. And that is not to take away anything from people that are in it. Like people that are in the league are the elite of the elite of the elite. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, to watch what they can do. But there is so much more talent out there as well that could just make it even stronger and, and, and more exciting. So I have seen the game evolve, like you said, like just in terms of, wow, what teams are able to do in individuals. I'm waiting to see it evolve with, you know, the opportunity that's there. And, and I know the, the players, the WNBA players represent so well, just so proud of that league and, and what they do to stand up and, 
and to 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 say we're here and and this is who we are and we're amazing and we need more you know because they like to demand more um it's what what they should be doing (laughs) and i i think to your point we always talk about there's only 144 spots in the league with the new cba which also I, i wanted to bring this up you talked about that uneasiness of knowing if the league was going to survive i think often in the cba negotiations the league can kind of use that leverage to not give as much to the players as they rightfully deserve. Um, But with the new CBA and teams adjusting to the new salary cap, we say 144 spots, but a lot of teams are playing with only 11 players. So that means we're talking, you know, maybe only 130 something here. So I think that even adds to what you were saying. Um, And, and I I'm with you. Let's expand. Let's expand. And, and it's so interesting because when the new CBA came out, I was obviously like so excited and wow, this is so cool. But part of me that that part that was, you know, still knows and lived through that, like this may not last type of thing. Like part of me is still nervous, you know, like is the is this CBA sustainable? Like are is the league going to be able to stay around? And I, and I know it is like I'm not questioning it, <laughs> but I you, you just still you're kind of still scarred from. Um, you know, just people telling you, like, like you were saying, you know, like using that as leverage of like, Hey, this may not be sustainable guys. You know, you should be thankful that we're here today, you know, which we are, but man. Um, and so, yeah, the opportunity, yeah, to, to, to make more money, but just to have an opportunity to be on a team. Like I just, man, it would just be so nice if there were more, but I believe there will be yeah. someday. <laughs> well, what a lot of people don't realize, and, and this is, Ari, we'll have a, we'll have a, an episode about this later on, but you know, just even this year in particular, especially those first early round, second round draft picks, it's going to be tough for them to make a roster, you know, and that's kind of, we'll talk about that as we get closer to draft time, but between the CBA and teams like the Connecticut sun, who are going to have to play with 10 players because of their yeah. salary cap. It's just wild. But I mean, you know, yeah. uh, we, we uh, all hope for expansion at some point, knock yes. on wood. We've all been hoping for that, yes. but coach, it's been a week since you guys left uh, the conference tournament, ACC tournament. Yes. Um, yeah. I can only imagine, obviously you can't prepare for anybody. Um, selection Monday is just a couple days away. And, um, we, we don't know who they're playing yet, guys, okay? The bracketology does not come all the way here to Winsider, and I think we got to take that with a grain of salt. But what have you guys been kind of doing this week? I mean, healing, resting your bodies, meeting. What are you doing to prepare for Selection Monday? Yeah, we've been doing all of those things, definitely giving the players a, a good chunk of time off just to disconnect. I mean, they've been going so hard since September, um, and it's it's been obviously an emotional roller coaster uh, as well with COVID. So giving them a like couple days of rest to just get away and then practicing. And when we practice, we really tried to obviously focus on ourselves offensively, um, things that we need to tighten up spacing wise and just working on our fundamentals again, and also preparing for any like defensive looks that we might might see that are different. Um, but and then. On the defensive end, for us, we tried to pick some teams. Um, you know, we picked three teams that had that ran systems that we hadn't seen this season. You know, and so we took. You know, we're taking a day each to obviously not go through a scout of players or anything, but to run those sets and to run that system and just kind of get a get some reps at defending things that we haven't seen and that we possibly could see 
uh, it's all a big guess. So uh, it's it's fun to kind of just make it up as you go and just kind of try to guess and and do the bracketology. Um, but yeah, Monday night we'll have our opponents, so that'll be nice to just get back on that regular you know prep yeah. routine. I'm just I'm just so thankful to to like have a selection Monday. My goodness, I mean, without having March Madness last, I mean, I will never I'll never take it for granted again. Um, knock on wood. That- this goes well and these conference tournaments, you know, finish up really well, looking forward to Monday. But um, for you guys in particular, it's such a different year in terms of we're not having the different regions. Everything's in San Antonio. What are your thoughts on that? Yep. Yeah. Again, like you, Rachel, I'm just, I'm so excited. We're having a tournament. Uh, It will be different. It will be very different that from everything that we're hearing about the bubble or controlled environment that the NCAA has set up with great, good reason. I mean, this is the only way we can have this tournament and and make it sustainable and viable and safe. Um, It's going to be very, uh, rigid in terms of, you know, kind of being locked down and not being able to, to really experience like an, an, a tournament environment and be out and about and see people or see the city. Um, you know, it's, it's like the WNBA bubble, you know, except we can't really go off of a, we can't really leave a hotel floor really. I mean, that's kind of what it's sounding like. So again, very grateful to be there. Uh, we're going to have to get really creative on what we can do to keep ourselves entertained as a team in those off hours. And, Um, you know, try to just stay focused and ex- and not, you know, go go nuts just like sitting in a hotel room for hours on it. Well, I can tell you, me personally, I miss like the convention and and that. Well, I'm not going to San Antonio this year. There's no reason. As anyone who's right. been to the women's final four, it's a huge reunion of just everybody, and it's a blast. And I can I think I speak for all the coaches and and basketball minds out there when we all miss seeing each other, but. Looking forward to watching you and and very excited to kind of see what you guys can do in this tournament. Certainly wish you the best of luck. Before I hand it over to Aria, he likes to finish up with this really annoying rapid fire. So I apologize. (laughs) Um, I want to ask you, you know, from the lens of both, um, as for the young girl out there who wants to be a basketball player, um, who wants to go to college, who wants to get a scholarship, to the young coach out there who wants to coach collegiate basketball, what advice do you have? I would say to be, <laughs> honestly, what worked for me was obviously to, you got to work hard and you got to be good at your, you know, whatever it is as a player, be really good at what you do as a player and, and as a coach. But I would say to be about people first, like be the best teammate you can possibly be in whatever circumstance. And when you're a young coach, it's be the best coworker uh, and people person that you can possibly be, basically serve others, find ways to, to help others be better. Um, even as a player, I think I, I was able to get more opportunities and was looked upon a little bit um, with, you know, just as, as a asset to a team because of who I was as a teammate, honestly, like maybe I I would definitely wasn't, there was a lot better players than me out there, but I think what I brought to the cohesion of a team was something that was valuable. Um, and so, yeah, get in the gym ladies, like, come on, get better, be a great basketball player, but it's about more than that. It really is. And that's the same thing for coaching. It's you're there. It's not about you when you're coaching. It's not, it's about everybody else. And you got to be willing to, 
to really humble yourself and be about others to be successful. All right. Rapid fire. Oh, Feel free to take as long as you want. We say rapid fire, but like never take an fire, hour. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. The toughest one. Pre-game meal as a coach. Oh, that's easy. Spaghetti. Spaghetti and meat sauce. Every game. I pretty much I mean it's on every it's pretty much every pre-game meal buffet we have. Load me up. Pasta. Have you have you made sure that the hotel has that on their on their uh their whatever? Our director of ops, she she knows me. She's always she's always hooking it up. Uh, yeah, uh, she knows me. The spaghetti with some meat sauce, I'm good. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Toughest player you ever went against as a player or as a coach? Man, um, I would say it's a tie. God, uh, I would say as a player, it's between Diana Taurasi, Lisa Leslie, and Tina Thompson. I had to guard all three of them. Candace Parker. I mean, where do I, where can you, how can you make like Candace Parker? Like, no, like <laughs> I had to guard these people. Me. I'm sure you locked them down. Well. I'm sure you locked them down, coach. No, no, no. It didn't go well. It went really well for them. It didn't go well for me. It's okay. That sounds like a nightmare. Um, I hope I don't dream about that. Uh, what, what is your, I think you've already answered this, but favorite country to travel to? Spain. Yes, absolutely. España. Okay. And what is your happiest WNBA memory? Oh my gosh. Those, those playoff runs with Connecticut, the Connecticut sun, just so fun. Just, and I mean, like it's the getting to the finals. Obviously if we had won, that probably would have been the best, but like, <laughs> man, just like winning, winning those playoff runs is just, it, there's nothing like it. Oh yeah. And tell me, what would you like to see in pro women's sports in the next 10 years? This is a, this is a tough one. Uh, just increased opportunity, like we said, just increased opportunity. And obviously that can also be, you know, uh, mean increased compensation. That'd be great. But I think first and foremost, just the opportunity. All right, Coach, thank you for, for joining us. I know you are headed into uh, the best time of the year. So wishing you the absolute best on Selection Monday. We'll definitely have our eye out to see who the Seminoles are facing up against. And again, thank you for sharing your story, and thank you for everyone for tuning in. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Thank you, guys.